Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. The parable that I'm speaking on tonight is the parable of the new wineskins. I've called it the parable of the bucket filler, um, and hopefully that makes sense to you soon. I'm going to use a couple of different translations throughout my message and focus the message on the account found in Matthew. I'll take you through a quick outline of um, a basic understanding of the parable in the context of the old and the new covenants made with us by God. And then I want to pull out just a few areas of the parable that have spoken to me in this season. I hope you find some relevance in it, and I hope you find it encouraging. Um, And I pray that God will move all of me out of the way and take centre stage, so that maybe you'll be touched by him too. The setting surrounding our parable is of Jesus calling the tax collector Matthew to follow him. Matthew, previously called Levi, throws a banquet for Jesus at his house. In this setting, we see that he hosted a crowd of sinners and tax collectors, and among them were the Pharisees and John's disciples. Here is where Jesus' disciples are questioned by the Pharisees about why he eats with such people, and they criticize him. Knowing, Jesus, knowing what is happening, responds to them by saying, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. To me, he's basically saying to them, I'm here to heal the sick physically and spiritually and to redeem them and liberate them from their sin through God's mercy. This leads us into our parable, and I'll read it from Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 to 17. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come where the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved." I see Jesus as speaking to their religiousness as he is questioned about fasting and he responds by saying that he is the bridegroom so there needn't be any fasting or religious acts because he is here to fulfill all of it. He is to be delighted in, to be followed, lived with and loved by his disciples and while he is still with them. And in that he is forming the new wineskins, the disciples, to carry his new covenant, or the new wine, which they will soon realize will be made possible by the shedding of his blood. Once he's gone from them, they'll continue to fast and be filled with him. 
This parable speaks of the crossover from the religious law to the law of Christ, which is grace and mercy. So basically, the law and its religious acts, or the old covenant, is the old wineskin, which cannot bring forth the perfectness of Christ in us, that we need to be reconciled to God. The new covenant made by Christ, our perfect God himself, and the shedding of his blood is the only sacrifice we can allow us to carry his spirit. It's the only way that he can dwell in us as new wine. And it's now that that new holy wine is being poured into us that will make us whole and perfect before God. This is happening when we respond to him, when we step into his love and receive God in all of his bloodshed and glory. For me, that's quite humbling and overwhelming. This brings me to the first point that I want to make, which is the old Lord just can't make us perfect. Only Jesus and his new covenant can. And straight into our second point I want to make is that God works in harmony with us. Um, This parable allows us to see that and shows us how relevant it is for followers of Jesus, not only in the Bible, but today. And I'm going to explain this to you by looking at the Greek translations of the words used for new in the parable. In our English versions, the same word new is used for both the new wine and the new wineskins. However, the meanings are slightly different. The Greek word neos is used for the new wine, which represents God's spirit, his righteousness, and his perfectness. Neos can be read as completely brand new. And the Greek word kainos is used for the new wineskins, which represent his disciples and us, his followers. Kainos can be read as being made new or being reconditioned. So as Jesus is our perfect sacrifice, He is also diligently reworking and rebuilding our whole selves or our whole vessels, as we like to refer to these days. It's dignifying and gracious, and it's also something that we can rest in if we have chosen to follow Jesus. The Passion Translation puts Paul's words so well in Philippians 1 when he speaks of the work of Jesus and his people. Paul says, I'm fully convinced that the one who began this glorious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you and will put his finishing touches to it until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why I see it as God working in harmony with us. Um, I want to give you a quick illustration that I found so encouraging. Last year, I got to see a glimpse of what my daughter Ruby would do some days at kindy. Uh, Her teachers shared an online story with me about how the kids were filling each other's buckets. Um, It's a concept that they used from a book to encourage the kids to love on each other and to help each other out. They'd be so motivated to go and find friends who they thought maybe needed a helping hand or could do with a hug. When they did so, they were filling each other's buckets. And each child would go away feeling rather fulfilled and happy. The kids would learn to see reactions of pain and anxiety or sadness in others as opportunities to fill a bucket. It made me think that as adults, 
we might be quick to run a mile from someone looking a bit miserable or worse for wear, but the kindy kids would run to it and they'd give love confidently from their own full bucket. It was also important for them to stop and check on their own buckets, to tell someone safe if they were feeling empty. If a child were to be unkind or hurtful, they would be dipping into somebody else's bucket and simultaneously emptying their own, leaving both parties feeling rather empty. Over time, I saw Ruby and her friends adopt this concept, which we now use at home. They began to thrive on the positives and exercise a little bit of their own discernment. I thought this was brilliant, and it speaks a little bit to what God does for us. It made me realize that at some point over our lives, our buckets might seem completely empty. I remember many times in my own life where I felt like I was running on fumes. As human beings, we can be hasty to run to other things for a quick fix or for comfort. And whatever it may be, running to something other than God to fill our buckets is easy. And I know I certainly have at times. But if we allow him, God the Father steps into these areas and fills us up with his son, Jesus. Jesus, being love and mercy, helps us and repairs us until we're completely filled with him. And when sin intrudes, his will is nothing less than mercy, and he removes it from our buckets, in a sense. It is in this harmonious dance with our bridegroom that we're being gently pulled home into him forever. As the kindy kids are encouraged to run to a safe person if they need a hand, we too are encouraged to run to God. We can see that the Pharisees saw this as so bizarre. They do, they're described as being indignant with Jesus and asking, why is it he defiles himself by sitting with such people? Their approach to a broken or unrighteous person is harsh and they see the people that Jesus is sitting with as unworthy because they haven't met their expectations or their rules. Their identity was grounded in their own righteousness and goodness and sitting with sinners was below them to the point where it was defiling. Their reaction was to be cruel and critical and I can only imagine how said sinners would feel and how they would respond to the Pharisees. But much like the kids at kindy, Jesus sees an opportunity. He embraces the sinners and the tax collectors with dignity, and he sees the parts of them that are anxious and afraid or let down, the parts that are not filled with his wholeness yet or his love, and it is his desire to fill those gaps, the weak spots and the sore spots. He is the great physician constantly at work. All of this brings me to my third point, and it is that Jesus fills our buckets, if you didn't guess. <laughs> I chose to take my parable from Matthew's account because it tells us that directly after the banquet, Jesus goes into the crowds and he's approached by the synagogue leader Jairus, whose daughter was dying. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house when he becomes distracted by the woman who had been sick for 12 years. He heals her when she pulls on his garment. Once he gets to Jairus' house, he receives mockery, and the crowd outside of his house is already convinced of her death, and so they speak death 
and they mock Jesus and Jairus. It says, though, that in verse 25, Jesus put them out. He goes on to say, she's not dead, but she's only sleeping. He raises the girl, and she is alive and well. I wanted to go into this because when I spoke to Don and Chris about writing my message tonight, they both separately gave me the advice that it was just as important as what I put in as what I left out. Um, And I feel this is so relevant to me this year, and maybe some of you here could relate. I make this point because Jesus is doing miracles in all of us too, just as he did in that room with the girl who lay dead. But he didn't want the mocking crowd to have a say. He put them out, and he took in only those he chose. He said to her father, Jairus, not to be discouraged by the unbelief of the crowds, but to just believe. This room of faith brought forward life from death in that little girl. They brought emptiness to fullness. But first, Jesus put out the fueled words of hopelessness and lifelessness that the crowds were speaking. It was so important that the liars be left out of the room in which the miracle took place much like the importance of leaving something out of our buckets that just simply shouldn't be in them. I love that as soon as the girl woke, Jesus knew exactly what to do. He got her some food. And in my modern-day mummy interpretation, I just imagine Jesus saying, Honey, you look hungry. Let me fill you up. I think that he literally filled her bucket. This resonates with me, and I hope it does with some of you too. I don't hear an audible voice from God, but I feel that when it comes to the places in us that are broken and dying, Jesus is saying the same thing that he said to Jairus' daughter. You look hungry, let me fill you up. Or let me fill your bucket and let me put out the lies that speak death over you and allow me to bring you to life to be all that consumes you and all that fills your bucket or your wineskin. If we have chosen Jesus, then the miracle has taken place, so it's time for us to be filled up by him. I know for me in the year ahead, I have plans and expectations about how it's all going to go, but I know that I have a lot to leave out of my bucket in order to make room for Jesus to fill more of me. And as I ponder what it means to be filled with the new wine, I know that I won't see much change where there is a whole lot of unbelief or lack of faith in me. There seems to be a pull to have a stronger faith in these few verses. When Jesus is speaking of par- in parables of himself being the new covenant, The Pharisees show a desperation to be grounded by what is written out in law, rather than falling vulnerable to God's grace. And on the other hand, the unbelieving mockers outside Jairus' house are so grounded in the reality of death and expecting the worst. Both groups of people clearly aren't ready to witness the miracle that's about to take place. But to his disciples, he is preparing them. He's saying, have faith. Fill yourselves with me because I've come to make all things new, to fulfill the law and prophets and to raise the dead. 
to bring back all things back to me, you just need to believe and be filled with the life that I'm about to pour out and give you in abundance. God is so patient with us and he's still calling us, but there's no better time than now to be filled up even more with him, to put out whatever it is that is unbelieving and to make space for his new wine to overflow and pour out of us so that we can be truly fulfilling his law. And we all know that the the fulfillment of the law is this, to love God with all our heart, soul and mind and to love our neighbour as ourselves. This brings me to my final point. Jesus is calling us to remove unbelief and to have faith so that he can fill us. Can I ask the musicians to come back, please? Uh, As I finish, I just want to quickly speak on a little bit of my own experience in receiving Jesus and following him. I, for one, don't have all the answers, but I know that the depth of the mercy that God gives is something that boggled my mind for a couple of years at least when I first became a follower of Jesus. I was very confused by God's grace. I grew up around religion, and there were rules to follow and doctrine that dictated life's choices. You couldn't drink certain things or go certain places. The list was long. We fasted, we prayed, and we forgot to pray. In all of it, it was never the religion that was hard to live up to. It was the expectation of perfection and the scorn of being imperfect. When I came to know Jesus, I was confused because there is this loving and gracious God that picked me up and embraced me in my imperfection. But there is still a call to righteousness So in all of my zeal and my overwhelming gratitude to Jesus, I felt quite sinful and bad still. It was very hard for me to see myself as the perfect child of God that Jesus had made me. In a way, I was trying to pour new wine into an old wineskin. Jesus said in the Luke account, no one after drinking old wine wants new, for he says, the old is better. And that was me. I had expectations, but I failed miserably. Guilt and fear or pride would still creep in, and when I made a mistake or just blatantly sinned, I would describe it as a tether of grace, so to speak, detaching, as if Jesus would leave because I sinned. I would forget that my perfectness came only from his love. I was reminded recently by a quote from Tim Keller, You are so much more of a sinner than you'll ever know, and you are so much more loved than you'll ever know. I realize and I keep realizing that this life with Jesus is an all-in thing. It takes running to him in every single moment with every single thing and constantly putting out all that is not of him. I can see that to to fulfill his law to love was to just believe and trust all that he says so that he can be in all of me and in all of us. Um, Paul says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I think he makes us strong by loving us and pouring himself into us. His blood is our new wine. So my challenge for us to end on tonight is simple, but I know it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. It's this. 
Let's believe His love and receive His love together. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.